Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 80 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Anthony, and we are glad to have another week to share beer and talk about the Bible. Absolutely. We can't wait. I, um, I, this is a first, well, maybe not a first, but the first in a long time. I actually have, uh, two cans with me. <laughs> so, um, Michael's catching up to me now. I've I been am. a two canner for a while. <laughs> well, and I mean, we are, so fair warning, we are recording on a Friday instead of a Thursday this week. Uh, Surprised I don't have three cans tonight. <laughs> I mean, we we went to gen- dinner and I had a Jack and Coke. So nice. Um, nice. But anyway, so Anthony, how's yeah. your week going, man? Man, I'll tell you what. Um, it, it's been a crazy week. Uh, my week actually started last Friday. Um, we found out some stuff uh, just through some housing and stuff that we have um, here that was had to be fixed and led to a really really stressful Friday last week. And then I figured out on, so I've been having this, uh, this odd back pain for probably about two weeks now. It's just like, it was weird. And so I went to the chiropractor to get adjusted. And after I got my first adjustment, I was, I was looking and I had like these huge red, like splotches on my rib cage. And I was like, what in the world is that? Then they started hurting really bad. Then they started itching really bad and figured out I've got shingles. (laughs) So, so that's been my last week is dealing with shingles. That's awesome. And by awesome, I mean that sounds terrible. It's I'll tell you what, I don't know that I would wish shingles on my worst enemy. Uh and I I'll, I'll say that I have a very very mild case. Like I have one strip that basically wraps around from the center of my back to the middle of my chest. And Ugh. and apparently that's how like they run around your rib cage is the I guess the usual spot for them. Mm-hmm. But they are, they're paint, like, have you ever had that sunburn that is so bad that you, like, just to move, like, your skin feels like it's just falling apart? Yeah. It's that times about three. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's terrible. That's awful. It is. It is. So, that's been my last week dealing with that. And then, uh, on top of that, the busyness, regular busyness of work. But uh, how about you guys? What's going on in y'all's world? Man, we are um so next weekend. Now now yes. Again, we're several weeks past when this will <laughs> when we're recording, so this doesn't make sense to anyone. But um next weekend is we're having our son's third birthday party. Oh. So we have started doing all the prep work for that. We were actually uh this weekend doing a lot of yard work. Um mm-hmm. I was just telling Anthony we the rented worst. we rented a like a dumpster to uh, put yard waste and uh, cut a bunch of limbs down for in the yard. There's some things I wanted to get done and we just got to, we got to clear some stuff out because we're going to have a bunch of people Mm -hmm. at our house. Um, Actually having a patio poured on uh, next week in anticipation of that. So hopefully we'll be able to use it. Um, Give it, give it two days. It'll be dry in two days. Yeah, well, we're going to be close then because it's getting poured on <laughs> Thursday and the party is Saturday early afternoon. So <laughs> it'll be... Tell, tell them to start early Thursday morning. You'll be fine. Well, they're, they're coming in <laughs> at like 7.30. So, um, okay. But uh, this week, uh, we've had a couple of different things for work. Um, my company, we supplied a sound system for... Um, Thursday was the National Day of Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a couple of events to support, to, uh, supply sound systems for, and I got to go and run those events, which was kind of cool. I hadn't done that in a long time. Um, <laughs> it threw me back to my old church days and I almost, I kind of missed it, 
Um, I didn't miss having to wake up. I woke up at five o'clock Thursday morning, which uh-huh. I know isn't early for a lot of people, but um, <laughs> it's about an hour and a half earlier than I usually. I, I've been working for thirty minutes by the time I usually wake up. So, um, but it was good. We're, uh, you know, that uh, other than that, this week was a little weird. Our sales team was in town for some meetings and stuff. So, um, but uh, we're rocking and rolling, and we're ready to drink some more beer tonight and get back into first Peter. Yes. Let's do it. What, what are you drinking tonight? So tonight I have from the Tucker brewing company and they Mm -hmm. are located in Tucker, Georgia. So they're real original with their name. (laughs) I have the Georgia red lager. Um, there's the, there's the can looks like right there. Um, I did something really weird this week. I went and intentionally looked for something kind of normal. Um, yep. so, um, I looked for something not normal <laughs> and you got it. I cannot <laughs> wait for you to review yours. Um, so on tuckerbrewing.com, um, the red lager is 5.4% ABV, uh, mm-hmm. 35 IBUs. And its description is an amber red hue reminiscent of our beautiful, rich Georgia clay, which I have a ton of in my yard and <laughs> that's where my yellow jackets are living. So I got to deal Ooh. with that. Um, That'll be fun. Um, Dude, hairspray. And fire. and Yes. <laughs> blowtorch and hairspray. I, cannot, I may try it. That's where I'm at. I have, I have done that multiple times. So anyway, um, our, in the, our Georgia Red Lager is a bready caramel nose with mild hints of earthly spice. Sweet taste with clean, moderately bitter finish. Excellent with food. Nice. So I, I always love a red lager. So I, I mean, I bet I'd be giving that like four and a half or five Luthers all yeah. day long. And, and I'm, um, I mean, like I said, I've been, I was, I went in intentionally looking for something just kind of regular and I, mm-hmm. I think I found something good. So Anthony, nice. what do you have? So, so I, I have been on trying to find the weirdest thing that I could possibly find. Um, and so I have stumbled across from Mark Twain brewing the Huck Finn's, habanero apricot wheat and if there was ever a combination of three things i would not put together they would be habanero apricots and wheat um but it says all brewed with peppers and fruit so we're gonna see how this thing works out for me i i've read some reviews on untapped and the reviews on this thing are all over the board either people love it or people hate it I feel like this is going to be very similar to um, like habanero mango uh, wings, like chicken wings. Yeah. People either which, love them or hate them. Which I would be, I would probably be a fan of those um, because one of my favorite things is we have a local wings place down here. I actually used to work there years ago, um, and they have <laughs> hashtag hashtag bombhowers uh, <laughs> hashtag wings. Uh, <laughs> they have a. Uh, they have honey barbecue sauce that is really good and it's really sweet, but they also have a buffalo sauce that is real. It's made from uh, ground up habaneros, and so the the buffalo extra hot sauce and the honey barbecue mixed together is one of my favorite sauces to put on wings. Uh, so I like things that are spicy and sweet, which is why this kind of caught my eye. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna see what happens with the habanero apricot. It comes in at five and a half ABVs, nineteen IBUs, which I thought was kind of low, but I guess the the spiciness maybe doesn't count as, as bitter. So, um, but there's no I couldn't find a description on the website. So I'm going to Untapped, and it says this is a hybrid style of American wheat, pepper beer, and fruit beer. Huck's is a malty and sweet on the front with a with Heat from the fresh habanero peppers apparent in the finish. The sweetness from the apricots tames the spice, making this unique combination of sweet and spicy surprisingly approachable. So that's what Untapped has to say about it. And like I said, I scrolled through a few of the reviews, and it was like, great, love it, great, love it, stupid, it's dumb, I hate it. <laughs> so... <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see uh we're gonna see if i fall in the great or if i fall in the stupid well let's find out and the only way we do that is by cracking open our beers and getting Going to drinking to let's do it here we go three two one crack
That's a that's a weird initial smell. The color of it is really good. Which, which I won't so be able to see because you're using your Babylon B mug. Oh yeah, sad day. But that's all right. I'm here. I'm here to be. Uh, I'm pouring up my liberal tears in my Babylon B mug. I mean, mine's oh, a, that's a nice dark red, right? Mine's there, a dark man. red lager. I, I think I'm hoping this is going to be good. Well, let's turn them up and see how the uh, how the two treat us. Cheers. Bottoms up. That's pretty good right there. <laughs> Michael Michael was watching my face as I do this. <laughs> the expression on his face is like, I'm not sure even what I just put in my mouth. <laughs> and I can't pinpoint anything about it that... It, I can't even tell if you want to talk about it. <laughs> You're you're gonna go first because it's gonna take me another minute. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so the the Georgia Red Lager from Tucker is is very very good. Um, it's just your standard uh, lager beer. Um, I mean, it, it, the flavor is good. It's got a really good caramely flavor, and um, it's really smooth. It's IBUs was about was it said thirty five, and I think so yeah. It's I've had thirty fives that are more bitter, and mm -hmm. I've had I've you know that's so maybe it's a little uh, maybe the uh, IBUs are a little off like we found like we've realized over the last you know almost two years we've been doing this. Yeah. Um, this is really good. I'm man. Oh, excuse me. Um, I think to try to save the evening, because I think Anthony is going to have a really low rating on his. I'm going and no, don't get me wrong. This is very, very good, and I'm going to give this five Luthers. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's very good. I'm uh, happy I got to. I may have just found a new logger to add to my uh, my arsenal. So to your um, favorites. Yeah, it, I mean it's really good. It's and I, and I will say this: it is as good as Classic City Lager. Ooh, it's different. Okay, it's not it's not it's not a one to one comparison. Yeah, um, yeah. it's got a little different flavor profile, a little different texture. Yeah, and, but dark it, lagers do typically. But it, it is so good. I'm very very nice. impressed by this one. Um, I may go get a third out of the nice. Major it's Friday night. I'm, That's what we do. I may drink half of them tonight. So no, it's very good. Tucker Brewing. Um, applause track insert here. Yay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you're getting five Luthers and that's your first, uh, that's the first beer we've had from Tucker. So it is well done. Well done, Tucker. Okay. So it's time to talk about the habanero apricot wheat. The flavor of this thing is, is really, really good. Okay. The weirdness of it is when it feels like whiskey going down your throat and it's setting your throat on fire. <laughs> My throat is on fire right now. <laughs> I, I feel like I just took a shot of Jack Daniels straight. <laughs> this is the weirdest. This is the weirdest sensation I've ever had drinking a beer. I'm not going to lie. It's it's really it's not bad. The flavor is not bad, and it is exactly what they have promised. It is. I mean, if I go back and read this, the the American style wheat. So you get malty and sweet on the front. Yes, that's exactly what you get. The heat from fresh habanero peppers apparent on the finish. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what you get. The sweetness from the apricots tames the spice. Eh, I might argue with that one a little bit. Uh, making this unique combination of sweet and spicy surprisingly approachable. I would actually agree with that. I don't know if I like this or not. That's the weird part about it. Like, I like the taste. I like the flavor. I like the texture. 
I don't, don't you don't necessarily like, your, like the finish. You don't like getting your throat assaulted <laughs> by whiskey flavored anything. But, it, but like, it's not a whiskey flavor. It's just the whiskey feeling. Like, I can feel like this burn. going down my throat. You, are you feeling the burn, Anthony? <laughs> I am feeling the burn, and I am not voting for Bernie Sanders. Uh, but the flavor of it is so good, and. I don't know. Maybe if it maybe if it were just the apricot wheat, I would like it better. But I like the uniqueness of the habanero apricot wheat. I there is there is something about it that is different. Um, yeah, it's the habanero. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely the habanero. Um, okay, all right. I've got to rate this thing. So it, it's exactly what they said it was going to be. I feel like they have lived up to all of my expectations of this. I, I'm going to have to give this five loops. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Even All right. Even though it's burning my throat, I'm which, by the way, I'm getting used to it now, so it's not quite as bad. I'm just kind of taming in a little bit. But, like, even though it's burning my throat, like, I almost half expected it because it's got habaneros in it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not expecting something to be hot, don't buy it with habaneros in it. That's yeah. what they are. If so. you've never had habanero... You- then don't maybe try, don't try this beer. Yeah, this I mean it's it's good. It's got great flavor. Um, I don't know that I could drink like a ton of these in a night. I'm gonna be struggling to get two down tonight. I'll say it that way. Um, but if I were just going for some kind of off the wall crazy beer one night, this would be this would be right up the alley. So, I mean, just on the sheer amount of you guys did something strange. And it works, and it tastes good, and the flavor's good, and it's exactly what you promised. Uh, I, I've got to go five Luthers on that, wow. that alone. So I know you were expecting like a two Luther well, rating tonight. Reading your face, I was <laughs> like, he may throw the he may throw his beer through the window. It the thought like, crossed my mind the first time I took a sip. Not gonna lie. So now now I'm really curious because I like habanero flavored things. Um, I like spicy food in general um like i will purposefully go and like whatever the hottest wing is i want to at least try it um i'll tell i'll tell you what this would be really good with and it's gonna ranch dressing no (laughs) well probably yes um this would be really good uh with crawfish spicy crawfish Mm. and this I mean, your throat would would hate you the next day, and you'd probably have heartburn for days. You're speaking my love language of crawfish, though. <laughs> but I mean, a good old low country bowl with some mud bugs and potatoes mm-hmm. and sausage, and I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot better than that. This, this thing has got me perplexed, man. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's really good, though. Well, that's good to hear because, like I said, so. I was reading your face, and you were. It, <laughs> It was almost the same face you had when we drank Calic. I'm not. Uh, that's about. I, that's about the face. So I was like, "Oh no, this is not going to go well." <laughs> well, it was. I mean, Calic. I, I I expected something really good, and it was disgusting. This one, I bought it, and I was like, "I'm probably not going to like this, but I'm going to try it just in case to see." And I don't know that I would seek it out and buy it again, but. I'm not upset that I have three more just because of the uniqueness of this beer. It's it's just it's really really interesting, and it uh one, I mean one of the things I've grown to love is people who will try crazy things in beer now. You know I look for really weird beers just mm-hmm. to see what you know what in the world would that taste like if it were brewed. So, uh, Mark Twain. I got to give you props, man. You you took me by surprise. Um, I expected something crazy. I got something even crazier than what I expected. Uh, is exactly what you said you wanted to deliver, and you did a great job. So five Luthers for you. Dang. And habanero apricot. Cheers. Yeah, and uh, Tucker Brewing also getting five Luthers tonight. So a double five night. This is the first double time five. we've had double five since um, since our first episode. First episode that back. We, yep. uh, well, after we when we revealed who we were. So, um, well done. That's a that's a good night. I'm. I, well, I won't say that. I was gonna say we should um, maybe we should start recording on Fridays all the time, but no, we probably shouldn't. <laughs> we probably um, shouldn't. No, uh, but anyway, so. Uh, there you have it there is our beer review for this week and after this break we are going to jump back into first peter we're in chapter two and uh 
we're going to continue our discussion there. So stick with us and we'll be right back. From that amazing musical break that was the same as the musical break from the last, like, 13 weeks. Uh, we're probably going to get some new music here before long. I don't know. I get bored with music, so I like to change it. I don't know. We went 66 episodes before you changed it last time. That's true. Not the intro. We changed the intro music one time. I don't remember. But I didn't was. change anything. I didn't change anything else. It was just the intro music. Well, here's what I think about that. <clears throat> oh, beer number two time. You know it's so good if I'm drinking two. <laughs> That's true. That is true. If you're if you're cracking open the second one before we start talking about the Bible, then it's a good beer. Yep. So all right, let's roll. So we're diving into First uh, Peter. We're going to continue on in chapter two, and we're going to make it through verses four through ten tonight. And this is so we're building on kind of the argument that Peter built last week, <clears throat> calling us. Sorry about that. Calling us to put away um, the, the our, our old ways the ways that we were before Christ. And then he's going to talk about who we are in Christ in, in verses 4 through 10, and, and he's going to specifically focus on the people of God. And so I'm going to read uh, verses 4 through 10, and then we're just going to we're going to talk through this thing um, because there is a lot to unpack here. And here we go. So picking up in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, for it stands in Scripture. Mm. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Woo! That is, <laughs> I tell you what, he is slaying it down right there. Yeah, Peter. Peter really does a good job, and and I think part of it's because you know Peter's always kind of this loudmouth guy anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and so Peter's just like he's like, wham. Wham! He's you know whatever he says, he's gonna throw it everything out on the line. You, right. You're never gonna have to question what Peter what Peter believes about something. Right. So, all right. So as we dive into this, let's let's uh, let's take it here from the top. Peter is establishing Christ as the source of our desire. So we go back to verses one through three. He talks about who we were before Christ, and and then in verses four. He's talking, he's really kind of making that transition to, all right, this is who you were before Christ. This is who you are in Christ. And and so it says, as you come to him, that's in the present tense, which would mean as you are constantly coming to him. And and let this think about, or let this remind you of what Jesus said in the Gospels when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the same present tense. And what that what that means there is continually, every day, it's a process of making the decision getting out of bed and saying today I am going to follow Jesus and 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 once once God has chosen you once God has put a spirit in you that you know the sanctification process this discipleship process that we're going to talk about tonight is is that that constant um renewal of of saying today mm-hmm. I'm going to live for Christ today I'm going to live for Christ yeah. and so um, verses 4 and 5 kind of link this present tense and and they put the emphasis on that you're constantly coming to him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Are we are yeah. we there? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm tracking. Yeah. Okay. So 
one of the quotes and 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 we're gonna we're gonna hang out here for just a second. One of these quotes that I've read uh, by a guy named Wayne Grudem. Um, I personally like Wayne Grudem. There's a lot of people who don't like Wayne Grudem, but I do. Um, he has this quote, and he says, "Personal devotion to Christ through the Word also increases corporate integration into the church." Mm. So let's let's camp here for just a second because this is going to affect what we call. As, as theology guys, we call this ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. Um, ecclesiology is the study of the church, and your, your ecclesiological position, there's a big word, uh, your ecclesiological position is what you believe about the church. Do you believe church should be um, all fun and games, or do you believe church should be all um, hands by your side singing a cappella? You know, what... what what side of the spectrum are you? Where are you on the spectrum? Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter what you, where you are on the spectrum, there is something that is part of the church, and that is your involvement in the church, right? And so, that's going to be part of your discipleship process. Yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I'm going to throw out a book recommendation, and then actually recommended this book, and Michael went and like picked it up, and so he found a quote, and and I and I was like. He sent it to me. I was like, yes, I like that. Read it. Um, but the book recommendation here is for a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and it's written by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, if you know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, then then you know why this book carries the weight that it carries, because this is a guy who literally, uh, for I mean, for all intents, he gave his life uh, as helping Jews escape Germany. So, I mean, he was a, he was a German spy is what he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, not He was a... He was a spy against Germany, but he was German. So uh, a lot of Germans don't like him for that reason. But but he wrote a book, and he basically argues in this book, discipleship is going to cost you everything. Um, so, Michael, pick up that, that quote that you got there yeah. at the beginning of The Cost of Discipleship. Yeah, so this is from the introduction of The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, Bonhoeffer says, Behind all the slogans and catchwords of ecclesiastical controversy, Necessary though they are, there arises a more determined quest for him who is the sole object of it all for Jesus Christ himself. What did Jesus mean to say to us? What is his will for us today? How can he help us to be good Christians in the modern world? In the last resort, what we want to know is not what would this or that man or this or that church have of us, but what Jesus Christ himself wants of us. Excuse me. Um, when we go to church and listen to the sermon, what we want to hear is his word, and that, as, that is, and that not merely for selfish reasons, but for the sake of the many for whom the church and her message are foreign. We have a strange feeling that if Jesus himself, Jesus alone with his word, could come into our midst at sermon time, we should find quite a different set of men hearing the word and quite a different set rejecting it. Man, that's uh, I, I love I love Bonhoeffer. If you've ever read the book, I, if you've never read the book, I want to encourage you to go yeah. read it. And, um, and he, when did he write this? Oh, it was in the sixties or seventies, I think. Because I mean, you could have fooled me. He could have written this like two weeks ago. <laughs> Let me look. Um, oh no, it was first published in nineteen thirty-seven. I thought he wrote it later in life. Um, so either way, um, this, I'm, I'm going to highly recommend this book for you because it is a book that, um, is very prescient for today's Christian. Um, we actually have to decide for ourselves. And if you, if you watch the news, you see more and more news stories of people who are being forced to choose between. Uh, their Christian faith and what they do for a living and their Christian faith and where they work and their Christian faith and where they go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if we're going to embrace this idea of discipleship and if we're going to embrace this idea of really focusing on discipling the next generation, then we have to decide what it's going to cost us. Yeah. And we have to be willing to say, you know, Either this is where I draw the line, I draw the line here, or I'm not going to draw the line and I'm going to commit fully to discipleship no matter what it costs. Yeah. 
Um, because that's that's really what he lays out is he says, you know, true actual discipleship is going to cost you something. Yeah. It's going to require sacrifice. And yeah. so that's what the people of God are called to do. We're, we're called to sacrifice. We're called to uh, live a life of sacrifice. And so as we work our way through um, verses 4 and verses 5 here, um, let's talk for a second about the living stone. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, tell me. So this is a metaphor. Yeah. All right. What is this a metaphor for? So um, this is a metaphor for Jesus. Anytime the the living, when it says the living stone, that means Jesus. That was Um, easy. Yeah. Um, But it comes from the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. And then Jesus actually applies it to himself in the Gospels in Matthew and in Luke. Um, And then Peter also applies it to Jesus as well in the book of Acts. Um, But when... When Christ is saying he is the living stone, he is showing his superiority to the old way of sacrifice, to the Old Testament uh, practices of going to the temple to sacrifice um, unblemished lambs, unblemished uh, whatever, for the atonement of sin. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I am... I am sufficient to cover sins. We don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. He, uh, <clears throat> sorry, he has this quote in John chapter 14 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Um, and that kind of uh, wiped out that Old Testament mentality of you had to go in, you had to sacrifice the lamb, Um you had to do all of the work associated with that. And so it yeah, was... Yeah, and we've talked about that in the past. Yeah. 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 Um, it was it was radical in that day um, because it challenged every established order that a lot of the uh, the religious orders knew in that day. Yeah. It, it was a... the I mean, the way of life for thousands of years had been... Yeah. Go yeah. to the temple, bring your lamb and your sheep or your cow or whatever... And slaughter it and yeah. clean it and burn it and leave it and go home and bathe. I mean, basically, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> if if church were today like worship was in the Old Testament, whoo, Lord help us. That's <laughs> you'd, you'd have to go home and take a bath after church. Um, but so with this uh, this idea of of Christ being the living stone. Peter then ties his readers, which would be Christians, to Christ as living stones. And and he says that you are living stones, and you are precious to God. And and you can see this in the language that he uses, uh, these imageries, these images that he uses to paint. He calls you living stones. He says you're a spiritual house. He says you're a holy priesthood. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices. Mm -hmm. All of these terms, these spiritual terms, applied to the house— uh, and and applied to the sacrifices mean that they are influenced and they are shaped by the Holy Spirit. These are right. you know the the way that we worship um, should be uh, you know according to John chapter four in spirit and in truth. So yeah. you know we we have a freedom we have the ability to to worship God with with a a, a reverent freedom. It's freedom, but it's a reverent freedom. But we also have to worship Him. In truth, we have to worship yeah. him for who he is and who he says he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And so so these words are used, and these words are, are, are describing our status in Christ. They're they're describing who we are in Christ. Um, and, and Peter just, you know, he comes right out, and he says that we're being built up into a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood, and we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. And the reason we're supposed to do all these things is because of, and then he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to saying, this is the Old Testament uh, prophecy. This is where it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've said it again, but I can't repeat it enough. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament points back to Christ. Yeah. Um, everything in Scripture points to Christ. And, and if you're not pointing to Christ when you're talking about Scripture and when you're discussing Scripture, then I'm going to dare to say that you have completely missed the point. Right. And so 
let that. I don't know if that's an encouragement for pastors or not. I don't know if any pastors listen to this or not. Um, but but if you're a pastor, please just just point people to Christ when you preach, preach preach the word, preach the text. But but it find find where it points to Christ and and make sure that you're doing that every time. So yeah. sidebar. Yeah. No, you're good. So um so we're looking at verses four and five still. Um, yeah. So so kind of the main kind of to wrap up this this part of the discussion. Um, so the main encouragement Peter is giving from these two verses mm-hmm. would be as you are continually coming to Christ in worship and in prayer, yep. you are continually being built up into a spiritual house. Um, and, yes. and then, and then Peter comes re- again, returns to scripture, returns to the old Testament um, to, to strengthen his point here. He, he points to Isaiah 28 um, and, and we're, you know, we're talking about a cornerstone, and, and if you've ever seen a, a building being built or, or if you've ever built anything, you know that if you don't start – if you if you mess up at the beginning, you're going to be messed up at the end. Yeah. Um, the, the cornerstone um, – in, in cornerstone in, in, in biblical times and I guess still now, I don't know, um, was the first stone laid, and it yeah. had to be right, and if it wasn't right – the building was not going to be structurally sound. Yeah, if you've ever watched uh, when they're building houses, if you've if you've seen them lay block, okay, they have to start at a corner. They have to start at one corner specifically. They can't start in the middle of a wall. They can't start uh, six feet down from a wall. They have to start at a corner, and they have to work from that corner out. And and so that that's the concept. And and. In these times, they didn't have blocks and rebar and concrete. They didn't fill them with concrete. You know, it wasn't like it is now with our modern technology. But literally, the cornerstone had to be cut, and it was very specific stone, and it had to be cut a very specific way. And they spent, I mean, they spent a ton of time on that one stone to get that one stone right. Because you're right. If you mess up, if the if the cornerstone is an inch out of square or, or it's not facing the right direction, then the further you go out, the further you get off. And if you've ever messed mm-hmm. up laying block, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If it's a 10-foot uh, wall and you're an inch out of square, well, when you get to 10 feet, you're 10 inches out of square. When you get to 20 feet, you're 20 inches out of square. That's two feet. Yeah. <laughs> so, that I mean, that puts that shows you the importance of that cornerstone. And so, like, just like with, you know, the cornerstone of a building— Mm-hmm. Um, if we call Christ our cornerstone, as we believers believe that He is our cornerstone, if anything is out of sync with our relationship with Jesus, then we're going to be a little off center. We're going to be a little yeah. off square. We're going to be there's going to be some you know something is going to be keeping us from being in alignment with Jesus mm-hmm. if we haven't spent time with Him, if we haven't prayed, if we haven't uh, repented, mm-hmm. um, if we're not worshiping or doing the things that we know we should be doing. And that should challenge us as believers to be like, I need to make sure that my relationship with Jesus is square because he is my yeah. cornerstone. And if I'm off a little, even if it's, a, you know, it could be just a little, mm-hmm. but the further down you go, you know, the, a little becomes a lot over, over a long yeah. period of time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. And, and so when, when we, Look at when we look at Christ as the cornerstone. You you have to number one acknowledge that that He is the cornerstone. But but Peter here takes two more Old Testament verses, and he he contrasts those who accept the cornerstone, those who build their foundation on the cornerstone, and those who reject the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And the two verses that he quotes from are Psalm one eighteen twenty two and Isaiah eight fourteen. Um, and so. When he says that those who have rejected the cornerstone, um, he says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter here is saying that if you reject the cornerstone, that doesn't affect the cornerstone. The cornerstone is still the rock. It is still the central piece. Right. The cornerstone You're the one that's going to have problems. Yeah. yeah. You're the one that's going to have problems. Um, if if you reject the cornerstone, then you're the one that's going to have problems uh, because he is still the cornerstone, and then that cornerstone then becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And when you when you think about the gospel in this way, you know, um, 
I can't remember which verses. It's in a Proverbs, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's something to the effect of, you know, wisdom is folly to those who who don't understand. Wisdom Mm -hmm. is folly to those who don't hear. Um, that that's kind of the same process here that Peter's walking through. Is he saying that that for those who have re- who have rejected Christ, it's going to become something that's a stumbling stone? It's a stumbling block for them because they can't understand it, they can't hear it. Um, their hearts have been hardened. Um, they have rejected Christ, and so because of that, because they have rejected Christ, they're going to be they're going to be in a in a place of of reprobate I, you know that's, that's that's the only word i can think that, that comes to my mind right here but but um he says they stumble and and this is this is where it gets really interesting they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do now that's going to dive into two very different ideas of what this verse actually means mm-hmm. um so there are there are people who believe that that God elects those he chooses people um he has a certain number of people you know however you want to word it the people call it fatalism um it's a very that everybody says it's John Calvin John Calvin did not come up with it a, a guy named Saint Augustine came up with it uh, about a thousand years before John Calvin um, but, but this idea of election, God chose you. Um, and then if you were not chosen, then you're destined for, you know, you're destined for hell because God didn't choose you. Um, and so we have two different views and, and I remember talking about this. I'm trying to remember exactly the way I worded this when we, when we talked through it, but one view says that, that, you know, Yes, God destined it, and and it'll happen exactly the way that God destined it. And one view says, "No, that's not exactly what it means." Um, and so, so let's do a little comparison contrast on these mm-hmm. two. I'm going to read the first one because I pulled. I do remember pulling these two quotes, and and these are two guys who are are both believers. They're both Christians, but they're going to have two different viewpoints on this. So yeah. I'll read the first one. Okay, go for it. Um, and this is by a guy named Robert Mounts, and he says. Uh, now comes an exceedingly important insight, and we're talking here about this section of, of verse 8. They stumble because they were destined to do this, just so we know where we are. Um, an important insight. Men stumble over the message because they disobey. Disobedience, not some philosophical or intellectual difficulty with the message itself, is the root of the unbeliever's downfall. People, bestu- people stumble because they won't believe, not because they can't. One of the central teachings of the pastoral epistles is that heresy stems from ethical failure. And he cites 1 Timothy 1, 5, and 6, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 19, 2 Timothy uh, 4, 3. Uh, and he says, The final clause of verse 8 does not say that man's disobedience was destined, but that his stumbling as a result of disobedience was determined beforehand. And, and I'm just going to asterisk that and say, that's a really semantic way to put that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Phillips translates, which makes stumbling a foregone conclusion. And, and he's talking about there's a, a guy who, who translated the end of verse 8 there, who, which makes stumbling a foregone conclusion. So, huh. so that's one side of the argument that says that it's not, they weren't destined to, they weren't destined to um, disobey their disobedience led to they disobeyed and that led to the stumbling which was destined so th- i'm just trying to wrap my mind around this one the stumbling was what was destined not the disobedience that led to the stumbling that's correct uh. like i said <laughs> it's it's a really semantic way to push it um uh-huh. so Take so read yeah. the second second one. So the second one again is Wayne Grudem. Yep. He's one of my faves. Uh, but read read uh, Wayne Grudem's idea on this verse. Okay, so Wayne Grudem says um, Peter then adds, "They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do." Peter's purpose in making this comment is to comfort his readers. Uh, excuse me. Um, he has shown that the rejection of Christ is, and even the hostile unbelief, 
which confronted these Christians on every side were predicted by God long ago in the Old Testament, uh, verses 7 and 8, here in 1 Peter 2. Um, now he says that they were not only predicted, but also planned by God, in, verse, in the second half of verse 8, um, and are therefore within the scope of his sovereign and wise plan for the world. Hostile unbelief should not terrify Christians against whom it is directed, for God their Father holds it all under his control and will bring it to an end when he deems it best. Amazing as it may seem, even the stumbling and disobedience of unbelievers has been destined by God. That is more along the lines of the way I would read that passage. The way he describes it is more along the lines of how I would, of, of how I kind of see when you talk about predestination, mm -hmm. predestination doesn't just apply like, yes, you're predestined for one or the other, but I don't think it just applies to your spiritual condition. I think it applies to the outcomes of all situations yeah. that could have or ever will be. Yeah. The, the one thing when I, when I talk about predestination, the one thing I ask people is, is uh, if every single person was saved, would that actually display the justice of God? Right. And and I, you know, that's a, that's a really hard question to to answer, but and it's intended to be a really hard question to answer. Mm -hmm. um, but the the reality is that if you're going to have justice, there there has to be two sides. Number one. There has to be a winner and there has to be a loser, and and so when we're talking about the justice of God, that means that there has to be people who are saved and there has to be people who are not saved, right? Because you, if if everything is, if everyone is saved and no one is not saved, then what you end up with is an infinite amount of mercy with no wrath. And, and so God can't be good if he doesn't have both. Exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, that's one of the things I tell people that's hard to, to come to grips with that God is 100% goodness, but God is also 100% wrath. God is 100% mercy, but God is also 100% justice. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, he is the perfect balance of all of those things, and all of those things serve the purpose of giving him glory. Yeah. You know, and, and if we don't look at it that way, that's when it becomes fatalism. That's when it becomes uh, what, what people would call hyper-Calvinism, and that, you know— that's the straw man that a lot of people build when they talk about Calvinism, is they say, oh, Calvinists are just fatalists. No, we're not. I do not know a single Calvinist who is a fatalist. I know a few hyper-Calvinists who might be, um, but even Calvin himself would reject the view of hyper what, what modern-day hyper-Calvinists are. So, um, And if you've ever read Calvin to any extent, then you would understand that. So um, this, is, this is an incredibly, incredibly tough verse. It, I, I, I don't want you to to hear us kind of presenting these two views and saying, oh, it's easy to choose this view. No, this is incredibly tough because the reality is that even though God has ordained and God has destined the days of our, our life and he has ordered our steps, um, the reality is that we still have to consciously make that effort to choose. There yeah. is this fine balance between the divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And I don't think anybody could actually put a pin on it and say, this is exactly where it is. And so we have to live in this tension that goes back and forth between the two. So I, I think it's fair to present each one of these. And, and though I disagree with Robert Mounts, you know, Robert Mounts is much smarter than I am, has way more training than I do and could probably talk circles around me when it comes to the Bible. But but that doesn't mean that that I can't disagree with him, right? Um, and so I you know I do take I th I think he is playing semantics here, trying to to pinpoint just exactly where the destination the destined part comes in, 
and saying, oh, it's, it's here, not here. Um, the reality is he's still saying that something is destined. Right. Whether it's the effects of your choice or your choice, something is still destined. Yeah, it, it, it almost reads like he's trying to, you know, those people who are like, will band-aid the symptom of a broken down car but not address the root cause. Like sticking the black tape over the check engine light? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's almost like that. It's almost like he's saying they were destined for their, um, how do you put it, destined for the stumblings. Mm-hmm. But the disobedience was not like that. That, that doesn't. You're you're stumbling. Be, I'm. I mean, he may he may think differently than we do, and that's okay. Yeah. But to me, it just logically makes more sense for your stumbling to be a direct result of your disobedience. Yes. Um. It, it is, and and if you're going to say that the stumbling is destined, then you almost have to say that the do the disobedience that mm-hmm. led to the stumbling yeah. is destined. Yeah. I do want to, I do want to point out something real quick. We, you almost touched on it when you were talking about choice and you were kind of t- touching on the free will thing. Um, you didn't say free will, but here we go. Um, <laughs> so, you know, man does have free will. Um, I don't think that applies to our, uh, it does apply to our response to the gospel because there are people that God will call that will not answer him. Well, I mean, the reality is that, that the call is for everyone. Right. But right. there are, you know, think of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Um, there there was the, the God telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Mm-hmm. But then if you read Exodus multiple times... God hardened his heart so that he would not right. answer the call. And so the, I, I think it's important, yes, I completely affirm that men have free will, but I think we need to understand that our free will is so broken that it will not choose God unless the mercy of God intervenes. Right. I heard you and, and I, 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 I was, think that's an important yeah, distinction. Yeah, I, I was... I guess my point was going to be more toward um, we have free will to choose on any other aspect of our life mm-hmm. in the in our choice to honor God or not honor God or serve yeah. Jesus or not serve Jesus. And um, maybe that was the point I was intending to make, but I didn't know how to articulate it, <laughs> which, does, which, happen, which happens all the time. So, yeah, we're not really surprised when, by that. When we're when we're talking about salvation, specifically talking about salvation, it's what we call what I, I, I've affirmed the view that says salvation is monergistic. It is a single work of God. Mm-hmm. Um, sanctification is a synergistic process where the Holy Spirit teaches and we have to learn and we have to grow and we have to make mistakes and we have to. And so it is a synergistic process, whereas the actual salvation, the justification of your soul is a monergistic process that only takes place by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and that's why I would say that regeneration precedes faith. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that regenerates and allows faith to come forth brings the person to Christ and then the synergistic work of the of the spirit begins in the in the process of sanctification. I yeah. hope that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you you were able to articulate kind of what I was trying to do in my head. Um which is good. So that's what we're that's what we're here for. Yep. So let, let's wrap this up. Let's let's get to verses 9 and 10 here where Peter gets into... So he's talked about the unbelievers in verse 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now we're getting back into verses 9 and 10. So he's, he's come back to the believers. And he kind of gives these, um, these descriptive adjectives, um, mm-hmm. groupings, if you will, of believers. And, and, and if you've been in church for any length of time, then you've heard some or, some or all of these. Um, yeah. Peter calls us a chosen race, um, a royal, pr- we, we have a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're people for God's own possession. Um, and I think it's important to note that we, the, the chosen race thing is not a specific race the way we see it. Mm-hmm. 
are it's are, not an ethnic race. No, it's not an ethnic race. It's a, it's hate to put it this way because this will sound bad, but it's a spiritual race. Yeah, that will be comprised of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And mm-hmm. if you don't agree with that, then I would encourage you to read the book of Revelation uh, at least once more, maybe twice. So, yes, it it, it is a spiritual a spiritual race, yeah. and you know there each one of these has has drawings from the Old Testament. The chosen yeah. race looks back to Deuteronomy, um, looks back to Isaiah forty three, the royal priesthood. You can look back to Exodus, the establishment of the priesthood. In Exodus, um, look at Revelation 1, look at Isaiah 61, um, you're a holy nation, again, look at Deuteronomy 7, a people for his own possession, uh, just just go read Exodus, and, and you'll you'll learn that, that God's people are mm-hmm. his possession and that he will, he will do with as he pleases with them. Yep. Um, and so it, it builds on the language, it builds on the testimony of the Old Testament, and Israel serves as a, a typology um, for what the church will become in the New Testament. Um, it is not, and, and I want to be careful how I say that, because it is not a replacement. Uh, there, is, there is a branch of theology that believes that the church has replaced Israel um, but that would mean that God would have to abandon Israel, and God does not abandon His people once He makes a promise to them. So, right. um, so, so it's not a replacement, but it is a grafting, and and uh, we can go look at Romans uh, ten and eleven for that one. Um, but but yeah, the whole point of of all of this language is is to describe the purpose of your being chosen. And, and the purpose is that we may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, if, if I can leave you with one encouragement, it is as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your job, your responsibility is to take the, the gospel message, the mercy of God, the grace of God, to a lost and dying world. You are called to declare the excellencies of him who called you. And and uh, and it that if you're not doing that, then start doing it, you know. It doesn't mean you have to go stand on a street corner and yell at people. It doesn't mean that you have to go knocking on all of your neighbors' doors and say, "Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ?" It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that in everything that you do, in every interaction, in every place that you find yourself, wherever God has put you, at work, at home, in the grocery store, you are called to be a light to those people who are around you because you have been called out of darkness. And the only thing, the best thing that you can do is call more people out of darkness. Mm. It's not your job to get a response. It's not your job to produce people. It's your job to declare the excellencies of him who called you and and to and to talk about how you have gone from darkness to light. And that's all I have to say about that. Boom. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap up for this week. Um, and that's a good I mean it's a good reminder. We we do need to be um, actively not just pursuing Jesus but pursuing opportunities to share the love of Jesus with others whether that's in um, how we serve in our churches or our communities or how we handle ourselves in, in our everyday interactions so um, yeah. that also includes Facebook oh you know <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one there <laughs> So, Michael, if they want to look for us on on uh, internet sites, where would they look for us on internet sites? We are on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. You can find us on Facebook by searching beers and Bible podcast and looking for our logo. Um, you can also email us at beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, um, any broad or more specific questions about anything we've discussed or any beer suggestions that you'd like for us to 
review here on the podcast. We give you a shout out. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And we are, um, we've got some things in the works. We've kind of mentioned it a couple, couple of times in the last few weeks. Um, got some things in the works that we are excited about. And um, we hope to be able to share a little bit more with you in the coming weeks. So that's what we got. Well, there you go. So until next week, keep your beer cold, keep your Bible open, your discussion flowing, and we will see you later. Peace out.